should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here today, this Tuesday, September 13th. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. And finally, he's back. It's John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. He's here with us. Hi, Michelle. Hello, everybody. Glad Thank to be you back. so much for joining us. I missed you so much. <laughs> I was on a secret mission. <laughs> I said that we broke up or something like that. <laughs> but now we, we got back together. We made up. Oh, this is better than friends. <laughs> so Hillary Clinton has pneumonia and the world has gone crazy. Apparently, <laughs> when someone catches pneumonia, it's a terrifying a uh, crisis and a scandal as long as they're a female Democrat, yes. Exactly. I, I read somebody's uh, tweet that had gone viral that made so much sense in which that person said, this is the one time Republicans care about a <laughs> woman's health. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Um, so, you know, John Zipper hosts his own political uh, roundtable talk show week to week, and that airs here on the Michelle Miao Show Fridays at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. So we always like to start the show out by touching base with you in terms of the political world. Um, there, there's just no more words. To say. I think at this point we're all just kind of waiting until November rolls around to cast our vote. Like, I, I really don't think that we need to hear much more. Well, and in, for those of your listeners who are in California – uh, there's a good chance that about 60 or higher percentage of them are going to vote long before November because you'll vote right. in person on site or by mail. And I certainly will. Um, maybe I'll bring my ballot in some Tuesday and we'll fill it out online or on the air. <laughs> but uh, it's I think right now people are just like, oh, just get to the debates. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that should be it, interesting. It, it's such ridiculousness right now, you know, talking about. Well, she dizzy is, is, you know, the, the old basket of deplorables and let's just get to the uh, debates and get it over with. Well, even the debates itself, I mean, I don't really know if I'm going to tune in. Don't you think it's going to be pretty much the same kind of things? I mean, the same kind of uh, comments Donald Trump will keep making the extremely offensive comments and Hillary Clinton playing the... I'm better than you card. That's what I expect. But here's something to, to watch if you do decide to watch or when you look at the carnage in the yeah. next day's news. Um, he has been doing some things differently, you might have noticed, because of his new campaign manager, uh, Kellyanne something or other. Mm. <laughs> she, I'm sure she has a last name. I forget it. But, you know, so today he's coming out with a proposal for uh, paid leave, I think, for maternity leave or something like that, uh, child care, uh, tax credits and things like that. So... This is not the Donald Trump that we saw earlier. Now, are there are there Hillary Clinton supporters who are like, okay, he's crazy, basket of deplorables, all that kind of stuff, racist, but oh wait, he's got a child care tax credit, I'll vote for him. You know, 
Will it do him much good? I don't think so. Will it do him good in media coverage, which seems to forgive him a great amount and not forgive Hillary Clinton a, a, at all? Yeah. So we'll see which which Donald Trump shows up at the the debates. One thing we know about Hillary Clinton is she's a master debater. Right. You know, she's going to come you know, loaded for bears, they say. She, she's going to come to debate and, and do well. And I'm sure she'll know how to handle whichever Donald Trump she gets. Right. Um, I, there's still, it, for a while, people were kind of interested also. It looked like Gary Johnson, the uh, uh, libertarian candidate, might get on the stage. I think. Interesting. Uh, yes. If that he, should be interesting. He needed to get 15% support in the polls in order to get into the debates. Uh, he kind of shot himself in the foot last week with uh, something where he didn't know the name of a city in Syria that's been destroyed. Um, and that's been kind of <laughs> a disqualifier for a number of folks. <laughs> there goes Gary. All right. Well, let's get today's show started. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. So, you know, this week, uh, starting with Sunday, I've been thinking a lot about heroes, heroes in our country. And I try to stay off social media because people don't want to be positive on social media, especially Facebook nowadays, unless Mark Zuckerberg is truly the mastermind or the uh, editor in chief over at Facebook in messing with the algorithms so that all we see in our newsfeed are, are whiny, negative people. But anyway, I've been Thinking about heroes and people who continue to make a difference, no matter how hard or difficult it gets here in this country, starting with Sunday, because it was September 11th, I thought of Alice Hoagland, who's mother of Mark Bingham, who is the gay hero um, and part of, of, of the United Airplane that crashed in Shawshank, Pennsylvania. And it's believed that, you know, he is a hero because he helped take that plane down instead of allowing for it to hit its intended target, which could have killed many more lives. And I started thinking about just kind of the violence um, internally here in this country anyway. And then it hit me that the next day would be the four-month anniversary of Orlando. And so today our main guest, and we'll spend uh, quite a bit of time with her, I'm so thankful for, is Christine Leinenen, who uh, pretty much was one of the first parents to get on national television, and they captured it um, in, in which she was... At first, looking for her son in hopes that um, she'd be able to find him. And tragically, we now know that he is also one of the victims of the 49 who were tragically killed in the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. And so Christine is here with us. Uh, she's made a, an emotional plea at the DNC. We've seen that. We've also heard from her at HR, uh, most recently HRC's annual dinner. And so I'm very happy and so honored to have Christine with us. Christine, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Well, thank you for having me and giving Christopher an additional advice. Um, it, I, I started, I, I walked into the studio. At first I was so, I was so happy that you agreed to come on the show, but, but then I think that I was also overwhelmed with such, such gratitude that I was going to be able to speak to you today because I, I am so thankful that you've continued to, to be courageous and to be strong and to, to speak for, to fight for LGBT rights, even though it's only been four months since that tragedy. So thank you. 
Yeah, well, it's only been three months. Oh, three months. Three months since, yeah, June 12th, so September. That's right, June, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I think I was counting, and, you know, how do you, I, I don't even know where to begin and how to ask because at this point in time, I still feel like it's it's so wrong. We're still uh, grieving, you know, but you, you've been getting up and you've been speaking to thousands and thousands of people and finding that courageous voice to continue on fighting and fighting against violence, and especially gun violence. Um, you know, what, 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 what helps you get up every day? Well, I don't feel like I have any other choice. I feel obligated. This is my only child. He was my world. And... Um, I have no other choice but to, he died because he was gay and because a hate-filled human being, for lack of any other term, a hate-filled human being that had easy access to such weapons and ammunition of such magnitude that he could kill, he could it's not just his hatred that he's going to, you know, throw a insult at someone and that someone could be offended, but then they'll get over it, you know. They'll still enjoy their life, and they might be afraid that other people are going to throw insults at them, and so they might be more careful on, you know, how they dress or how they wear their hair or their behaviors. But this is someone who wiped out... 49 people, the level of hatred that you have to have and the easy access to that kind of weaponry contributed to the massacre. And I think that's what has kept this uh, so paramount in people's minds three months later it's for me, it will always, the pain will always feel like it just happened yesterday. But most of us move on to the next story, the next tragedy, and um, but we can't seem to move on from this because of the, the horror of it that you could be gay and dancing. Mm. in a safe place, a place that he went to for 12 years where he can actually enjoy holding another man's hand or giving them a kiss, something that I would enjoy in any club that I went to in my 20s. You know, I could enjoy meeting a guy and dancing with him and giving him a kiss on his cheek, and no one would insult me for that. And yet... If you are gay, you have to go to these safe places to show your love for another human being, which is tragic in and of itself, that you're not allowed to show your love for someone. Mm -hmm. Christine, uh, uh, Michelle mentioned your your speech at the Democratic National Convention. Uh, It's a very powerful speech. I, I urge people to look it up online. You can find the video and the transcript of it. Um... Can you tell us about what was, what message you wanted to make sure people got away, you know, took away from it, and how you, how you came up with what you wanted to say there? Well, the 
the most powerful message, obviously, from the minute the tragedy occurred, even before I found out Christopher was one of the unfortunate victims that died, I had already recognized just having talked to people, talked to a, a reporter for the local Orlando Channel 2 News when I was waiting by the emergency room, waiting to see if my son would be brought in, and hearing other, talking to other uh, people who were at the club, my son's two friends who had escaped from the bathroom, that um, I already recognized that that was a high-powered weapon. Mm -hmm. So I had already recognized that that was the con one of the two main contributing factors. So at the Democratic National Convention, the message I wanted to bring across is that Christopher died because of our ridiculous gun laws, that we don't have gun control, that we're not well-regulated, and for some reason our uh, uninformed society seems to think the Second Amendment gives them, to, gives them the right to have weapons with little or no regulation, and it doesn't. It requires you to be well-regulated, and being able to be 29 years old and have hatred for, it could have been a long-standing hatred, hatred toward everybody, everybody and anybody, and maybe a particular hatred toward gays, but for him to be able to walk into a gun store legally and buy a weapon of that kind of destruction, like he were walking into Seven Eleven buying a Slurpee. Mm -hmm. Right. You and you've mentioned you when you were having Christopher when in labor, you had to give up your your service weapon. You're a state trooper. Is yes, that right? exactly. The gun laws were actually tighter. Somehow, somewhere, maybe in the '90s, maybe in the early 2000s, we let the animals out of the farm. Pen. We opened the gate and the animals got out, and now we can't get them back in. And by that's just a um, uh, metaphor for letting the gun laws, which we had, we had regulations, and somehow we let, based on who we elected, probably the Congress, who were funded by gun manufacturers. We let them uh, chip away at common sense law so that the animals were let loose, and now we're trying to get those gun regulations back in place, and people are saying, oh, no, Second Amendment. Well, those regulations were already there. Mm -hmm. The vice president had sponsored a legislation probably back in the 90s that was effective, and you know, just one simple, I'm not sure what it is, because I'm not a politician. I've never been a public speaker. I'm a, a, just trying to learn the gravity of this because uh, I've lost my only child to this. So I am put into an arena that I have never sought myself. Or I'm 59 years old. I've never 
sought to be in this arena, but nonetheless, here I am. So I'm trying to become educated so I'm not uh, that, you know, proficient at all the specifics of all the different laws. I mm-hmm. generally know there was, for an example, there was some act. It was, I think it's the PLCAA, something to that effect. But what it does is the Republic's, Republicans in Congress made an act that prohibits victims of gun violence from suing the gun manufacturers. Mm-hmm. That's right. And Hillary Clinton was a senator and voted to repeal that act. And there were 48 senators who agreed to repeal it, but they needed 60. So we're 12 senators away from repealing that act. And that's one example that if a victim of a gun violence could sue the gun manufacturer, maybe they would be less inclined to market these high-powered weapons to reckless individuals, just regular citizens who, for whatever reasons, whether they're out having a good time or out drinking or have some hate-filled fuse that was lit, that they have easy access to weapons and that they can act on their their you know, momentum for that moment of momentum, that particular moment in their life that we make it so easy for them to act on it. Right. And uh, the gun manufacturers don't have very much recourse against them. So they're not encouraged in any way to be responsible uh, product makers. Exactly. They don't have to be as responsible as you would think they would be. Right, right. So that's just an example of the, that I'm learning the ludicrousness of, if that's even a word, but how ludicrous our laws are that, but immediately, even before I found out Christopher had died, just from the first half hour of being at the scene from four o'clock in the morning, and talking to my son's friends and how they heard at least 25 rounds, I recognized that as had to have been some kind of high-powered weapon. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. Uh, even a, we carried a Sig Sauer, which carried 15 clip with one in the chamber, 16. I couldn't shoot 25 rounds very quickly as a police officer. Mm-hmm. So I recognized that he had to have had some type of assault weapon, and then to learn, which I saw as a primary, one of the two, like I say, that's actually for my son's case, it's the homophobia combined with the easy access, but it could be, you know, alcoholism, or you don't like your neighborism, or whatever the ism is, combine that with the easy access to a high-powered weapon, and the tragedy is compounded. Right. Christina, um, we're going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, I want to continue this discussion, and that discussion is you know, focusing on the fact that um, when people have easy access to these high-powered assault rifles and combined with anything else they might be going through and kind of what your perspective is on that. So don't go away. We'll be right back. We'll continue our discussion with Christine Leinenen. you 
You're listening to the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us as our co-host. And on the phone with us is Christine Leinenen who is mother of Christopher, uh, and we lost Christopher during the Orlando Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting. Um, Christine, right before the break, we talked about, you know, the access, uh, the easy access to these types of weapons, and then you coupled that in with all kinds of things, mental illness or alcoholism or homophobia, and it becomes a very, very violent situation. I wanted to ask you, you know, the investigation is, is is still ongoing and there are things that come out about Omar Mateen and, and people are still trying to figure out, you know, motive. I'm hearing from you, you know, it, it, it's it's very clear to you at this point in time that whatever his motive is, that plus the fact that, that there's access, that's what we need to focus on. Am I right? Well, I think that... He could. He had probably a lifelong hatred, and coupled that with a lack of ability to figure out how to have lead a happy life, how to love genuinely love people and lead a happy life. But I don't think that let him. You know, having an unsuccessful career in life, that wouldn't necessarily lead him to that point of no return. But I think that once a young, angry, hateful man, I don't know too many women who get that same sense of immortality when they hold a weapon, but I imagine from the very second he walked out of the gun store with that type of weapon, he was at the point of no return. He was going to then 
So he was going to, unless he would have got stopped by a cop and got killed or got killed on the way into the club, if the cop who was um, at the door of the club would have been at the door, he might have been able to stop him and shoot him right at the the door. Who knows? But um, his point of no return, I believe, happened when he walked out of the gun store with that weapon. So uh, in terms of trying to deal with the incredible ease with which people can get not just weapons, but can get weapons of war. Um, do you have specifics on what type of legislation or, or rules changes that you'd like to see? I'm not that, um, I'm not that proficient at oh. all. The, there's so many different rules. Like I'm going to be working with the Florida League of Women Voters, and I also spoke to the Attorney General, who's the first openly gay Attorney General elected to Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and she was able to craft, her name is Mara Healy, and she was able to craft a, a so-called assault weapon ban that withstood the gun manufacturers and the NRA's wow. arguments, and they tried to put out a copycat gun that could be easily modified to make it the same type of weapon that the law banned. And they were even able to legislate the um, the copycat weapon. So if that law, whatever that law is that is in place and working mm-hmm. in Massachusetts, if that could be replicated on a state-by-state basis, if the federal government can't get the laws together because of the election and who's in place in Congress, and they're not motivated to change any of the laws. At a national level, if she, if we get Hillary Clinton in office, and she, Mara Huey, then could get into some kind of national forum, she could potentially replicate that law in a national forum, then it won't be necessary for each state to try to legislate a multitude of laws, small laws that would have to, as a, you know, a culmination, be the same effect as one major law. Right, right. Plus... But, um, yeah, if not, then every state has to work on its own. So from a Florida perspective, the Florida League of Women Voters, they have attempted, and they've succeeded at a few minor changes to the law, but we have the same problem in Florida that we have nationally is you have people in office who are funded by these gun manufacturers and the NRA, and they're reluctant to, in some kind of guise of Second Amendment protection, which I think is a total misconception, guise, that's why it's a guise, it's not even accurate. So Florida is trying to get more Democrats in the state legislature so that we can tip away at some of these laws like the background checks. And if you're on the no-fly zone, all these really super common-sense laws that you wouldn't even think that you could be on a no-fly zone and not be able to board a plane, but you could walk into a gun store and get a, um, a weapon that could kill and injure 100 people right. in a few minutes. Right. Well, Christine, you mentioned, I mean, you, before you 
uh, you know, hadn't asked for this role that you're 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 fulfilling now of publicly talking about this, both uh, you know, on, in venues like this radio program as well as in you know large large pro- events like the DNC. Um, can I ask what sort of reaction have you gotten? Have you gotten? Have people reached out for support to you and for you? Um, are people attacking you? I mean, it, it's such a hot button issue, and I, I'm sure you've heard from folks. Well, there's uh, there um, the majority. Obviously, the majority of people are in support of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can guarantee you, all the mothers that I've had contact with, I've received hundreds from the time my son was missing, and I. They had written notes even before because I didn't find out for 33 hours that my son was dead. And so people had wrote a note seeing me just the very first night and sent it off. So I got it after I found out my son was dead, but they had written their condolences just for looking for my son. But all the moms that have written to me or spoken to me agree with me. So if moms can get it somehow together, I'd, we can we can make change happen. But mm-hmm. I'm so discouraged in a way because the um, there are lots of mom groups out there. Because at Sandy Hook, when twenty you know six and seven year olds died, and I spoke with Matthew at the Disarm Hate Rally in Washington D.C. a couple of weeks ago. His sister was the te- one of the teachers who died in the Sandy Hook, and he said that he would go to, him and his family, mom and dad, would fly to Washington, D.C. every other weekend trying to change gun laws, and the Congress would, congressmen would stare at them with cold faces as yeah. they cried and told their stories of losing six- and seven-year-old babies and yet still not change the law. So it's discouraging to think that we have allowed this to happen so often, these mass murders that, you know, we should already be horrified that we are having so many people get killed just with gun violence, period. And then when you think of the mass murders that we've had, in this country, and you look at the common denominator, and they're hate-filled young men who can't seem to get a grip on how to be happy. And I can't deal with them. I don't know how to deal with them, because you don't even know that they exist or not, because they could be normal one minute, and then something, they lose their job, or their, their girlfriend leaves them, and then all of a sudden, they're a raging maniac the next minute. So I can't address them because they can flip constantly. But we can address the the access to the weapons. So we know that there are two-year-old mentalities throwing their temper tantrums, but we are giving them adult weapons. But mentally they have, in that moment at least, maybe throughout their whole lives, but at least in that moment... They're having a two-year-old temper tantrum, and we're, in essence, giving them live grenades to play with while mm-hmm. they're having this temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. Um, Christina, I, I'm, I'm trying really hard to just keep my composure and just listening to you and talking to you and just so 
in all of your strength. I actually didn't realize how much uh, I was holding in since Orlando and not really dealing, you know, with the grief myself as an LGBTQI person. And just to hear you um, rise above that and tell us what it is that we need to do. Uh, and, and your grief is beyond, you know, what mine is in, in losing your own son. Um, I have one, you know, last question for you as we wind down. I, I, I read about the Drew Project. I know that you, yeah. you've started that. So I wanted you to be able to talk about the Drew Project. Um, but also just kind of some, some words for us who are a part of the LGBTQI community and uh, who, who feel like we are a part of you now who I feel like I, I could be one of your children. You're fighting yeah. for me. Um, I just wanted to let you know that, that at the end of this interview that I wish there's a time in my lifetime that I can give you a hug because yes. I'm, I'm always thinking of you and hoping you're, you're, you will continue being strong for us. And I have to be, I, like I say, I just, I raised my son in a loving environment. I wasn't an activist in any way, shape or form. I just loved my son and raised him with love. And he took on the more of an activist stance because I was always confident and comfortable with whatever occupation I had. So he saw me educated and he saw me articulate and he saw that I loved people and loved him so he could then be a confident leader. Although I've never been a leader, I've always been a worker and I've always enjoyed being a worker and and he then became the leader in high school. Um, he started a gay straight alliance. Just that was his I wasn't to credit for that. He did that on his own, knowing he was gay, embracing that he was gay and wanting other high school students of his to embrace it if they were gay too and trying to bring gay and straight people together so that they can all have an enjoyable high school years, which is what we want. And uh, so he started um, the Gay Straight Alliance, and then he started writing a little, just a teenage blog called The Drew Project with the DRU Project, all one word, thedrewproject.org. And um, that's then hopefully going to be his legacy that um, that the um, Gay Straight Alliances in high schools are promoted and given guidance and scholarships for students who are in the club, the Gay Straight Alliance, mm-hmm. so that that would encourage um encourage students, whether they're gay or straight, to join the club so that they can potentially win a scholarship and then they can also learn how to get along. So he emphasized he would never take on the issue of gun control because he wouldn't know that much about it and that isn't really his arena. His arena, as he was a mental health therapist, that's, he found his niche, which fitted his personality or pit his personality uh, well because he was more of a compassionate, bringing people together kind of personality to um, increase their success in life, where I am focusing on both providing a venue for his legacy of 
bringing gay and straight together so that we can potentially avoid this kind of misunderstanding of what the gay community is, which clearly the 29-year-old mass murderer didn't understand how good and loving and normal a gay relationship is. Mm -hmm. So maybe had he had a gay-straight alliance in his high school and he could have witnessed it, it's a loving and good relationship, just like unlike the ones he had with his ex-wife and his wife, but he could witness that actual loving relationship and maybe he could aspire to have a loving relationship on his own. So that's where the Drew Project is coming from. It's to address Christopher's legacy as a person who wanted to bring gay and straight people together to understand each other so they can all live together peacefully and have a successful, enjoyable existence while they're on this planet. And I must say, Christopher did have 32 years and 11 days of fun and love and happiness, and his killer probably didn't have 11 days of fun and love and happiness in his life. So Christopher's winning. Christopher has won, and the Drew Project is going to win, and love will win. That Mm -hmm. I can assure you. And um, I spoke at the Human Rights Campaign just last Saturday, and um, that's the message that I want to give. The ultimate message I want to give is that Christopher stood for love. The guns are the hatred that I am trying to eradicate, Mm -hmm. but the love is what's going to live on and on, way beyond the gun control law. We'll still need to promote love. Christine, I want to thank you so much for being here with us on the show today and for sharing your time and all the work that you do. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to speak on Christopher's behalf. Support the Drew Project for Love to Win. Love wins. That's right. So please, whatever you can do um, in supporting the Drew Project, uh, let's do it. Let's do it together. Don't go away. When we come back, the show continues with John Zipper and I, and we speak to the parade manager of San Francisco Pride and how San Francisco memorialized the 49 victims of Orlando. And uh, you'll want to hear from her. It was pretty special. Don't go away. The spotlight on success and achievement goes to LGBTQI members of the Bay Area who have demonstrated an incredible amount of success. We're very proud to announce that this month's spotlight on success and achievement is Rick Welts. Well, it's been an unbelievable stretch of time, obviously. Uh, Everything the Warriors have gone through this season, really a magical season that ended in a championship. and now to, to top it off a week later with the opportunity to participate in the Pride Parade in San Francisco, it's a, it's a pretty wonderful time. You know, it's been a journey, right? We're all on our own personal journeys and uh, the last four years has been a remarkable part of my life, but it, it's definitely a part of my life. Uh, 
You know, the decisions I made four years ago to come out in the way that I did, obviously, you know, I had decided I was signing up for something going forward and being part of the discussion. Uh, and, you know, I welcome that. And this is, uh, you know, for me, a real honor to, to be participating in this way. And I guess in, in some ways it, it will be a demonstration of how far professional sports has come in, in a very short period of time, uh, not as far as our society has come. So I think we have a lot to celebrate. Wow, I don't think I have any secrets. I don't think I'm that mysterious. You know, I've got a uh, pretty simple life. I like pretty simple things. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a great partner. His name's Todd Gage. Uh, he has two wonderful children, a 14-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy. I, I uh, got off the parade route, got into a car with them. We drove to Lake Tahoe and I got to watch 14-year-old girls play four soccer games over the course of the weekend and then drive back to the Bay Area. So that's my idea of an exciting weekend. You know, spending it with the kids and my partner and getting to do, you know, the most basic things that any family would get to do. Spotlight on success and achievement presented by Wells Fargo. Together we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday, September 13th. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Uh, wow, that was just um, incredibly incredibly emotional, uh, obviously. And I knew it was going to be, and I kind of... I do one of those things when I know something's going to be really hard for me emotionally. I try to shut down. But um, the purpose of this show is to share and make a difference in people's lives by telling authentic stories. So I really didn't have a choice to shut down this morning. Right, John? Uh, right. I, I love the way she, she wraps that up by really getting across the message that, that the, the shooter's legacy was one of, of horror and murder. And it's up to all of us to make sure that Christopher's legacy uh, is the one that wins out in the end. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, speaking of Orlando, I want to, you know, I want to mention and acknowledge the fact that when Orlando happened, uh, the world recognized and acknowledged the shooting and came out the, the uh, outpour of support from around the world um, was very overwhelming. I mean, that night there was a candlelight visual and the candlelight visuals went around the world. Um, that was very incredible to see that as an LGBTQI person. So I don't want to take that away. Um, at the same time, you know, it happened in June. So a lot of cities were celebrating pride month and their prides And here in San Francisco. We definitely did something special. And so I'm honored to also have the parade manager of San Francisco pride with us today, whose birthday is today. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Marsha, Marsha Levine, everyone. Hi, Michelle and John. Hello. Glad to have you here. Thank you. So, Marsha, yeah, you know, we did something really special here in San Francisco, and I keep hearing from people who attended San Francisco Pride that they were so moved, and I want to start with the parade. What did we do that was special and significant in memorializing the victims of the Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting? Well, immediately after the shooting happened, we had a production meeting with the team, and... I was talking with George Ridgely, our executive director, and Kent Anderson, our deputy executive director, was there as well. 
And George had said to me, we need to do something. I don't know what you think that might be. If you want to have a special commemorative float or a moment of silence or something going on, I had immediately started making a banner for the parade, which contained the 49 names of the victims and memorialized the date as well as saying we are Orlando in the center of it so we could bring that representation to San Francisco in the parade. And then I had remembered when I used to be president of Boston Pride, I'd visited New York for their parade and they stopped at least two or three times along the route to do a moment of silence for things that had happened long before this, the shooting ever occurred. Um, the Stonewall Revolution, other things that have impacted our community. And I thought, wouldn't it be awesome for us to try to do that here in San Francisco where we have a moment of silence? Around the same time as that, I heard from Trisha Fogelman of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence that there was a gentleman who was putting together um, commemorative photos of the victims and he wanted to march on the parade with their pictures. And she put me in touch with him. And I went ahead and said, why don't you just be the contingent at the front of the parade with the commemorative photos? Um, and if you would take our banner, please, and, and use it that would be wonderful. So his name is Richard Palmer Sizemore. He's used to live here in San Francisco, but recently has moved back to Orlando where he's from. And he's working with some people associated with the Pulse nightclub and um, working on making sure that this is not something that is forgotten. Um, so he organized all the people, and we put together the logistics for how the moment of silence was going to work. And I'm sure Michelle remembers that as the contingent approached broadcast zone, I stopped them right there on the broadcast zone so we could do about um, 30 seconds or more mm -hmm. of silence. And then we ended the moment of silence by chanting, We are Orlando, raising our fists or whatever other gesture people felt comfortable with. Mm -hmm. um, it must have been a very emotional thing to put together. I mean, I was just, while you were talking, I was remembering um, Anderson Cooper reading the names of the victims on, on air and, and breaking up. And I mean, it's affecting me now and it's three months later. I didn't know anyone. Um, I had originally planned on suggesting to Michelle that today during the program we would read the names and I was just like we'd never get through them you know mm -hmm. it, it, we mm -hmm. it, you just can't do that that must have been a very emotional thing or was the fact that you were able to do something about it what helped pull you through it I was definitely in work mode when when it happened mm -hmm. and the planning up to it I don't I don't even really think that I stopped to grieve until after it was over and I actually saw a little video snippet or I watched on Coffee TV's um, rebroadcast, um, watching the contingent as it approached quietly with, uh, with the photos. It wasn't until 
that time that I even allowed myself. Like Michelle, it's like I go into work mode. I shut down emotionally. I get through what I need to do to make sure it happens logistically. Well, something definitely has not been right with me since Orlando. And, and although I've been in work mode, I haven't been 100% Michelle Meow. Like, I, I just feel like I, we keep getting pummeled with uh, all these tragedies, um, starting with with one that had specifically impacted our community. You know, Marsha, I think a lot of people uh, needed that needed that moment of silence and needed us to come together and continue dancing. And, you know, we talk a lot about the bars and the nightclubs being our safe places, our sanctuaries uh, to, to being out and, and open. I mean, for you, having been a part of Pride Celebrations for, what, over 30 years now, I would say that that feeling and that need to come together is, mag, uh, you know, it's multiplied by, what, 100 times? I mean, What's it What's it feel like when everyone comes together in such large numbers to, you know, whether it's to mourn and to grieve together or to celebrate? Exactly. In, for whatever reason people come together, it, it does evoke an emotional response. Um, and sometimes it takes a little while for me to work out of my, my mode of making sure everything is running okay and smoothly to sort of take it into myself and say, oh, yeah, when I see that contingent come by and I'd, every year there's always one contingent that makes me missed up and I have to, like, pull myself together. Mm-hmm. Well, it is your birthday, so we don't want to send you away without saying happy birthday and to end with, um, obviously, much appreciation from all of us who know that people like you do what you do because you actually care. You actually love, you know, the community. Uh, but today is your day. So, you know, what What if you had a wish? If I mean, obviously, you're going to make many wishes today, but if, that you could, you know, make a wish publicly and on the air, you know, what would it be? I think my wish would be that we're we're all a little kinder to each other. We're we're more gentle. That it's less about taking people down for whatever reason, and more about building everybody up. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Thank you Great. so much. Well, happy birthday to you. Should we sing, John? Can you sing? <laughs> Um, I'll hum along. Happy birthday <laughs> to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Marsha. Happy birthday to you. you. <laughs> that was the most out of sync, out of okay. <laughs> tattooed. But Happy well birthday ever. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all that you do. And thanks for being with us today and spending your birthday with us. Don't go away when we come back. John Zipper and I close down the show with our final thoughts. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. 
So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining joining us here on this Tuesday, September 13th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club, our co-host today. So thankful for you. Don't break up with me anymore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, we didn't break up. Michelle and John, forever. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I learned a lot today. I learned a lot about myself, but also learned a lot about uh, just the power of, of people and how we are able to overcome just some of the most tragic moments of our lives and have the strength and the courage to, to really make change. You know what pisses me off the most in speaking with Christine Leinonen, who's uh, the mother of Christopher Leinonen, who was one of the victims, the 49 victims who were murdered at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. What pisses me off is the fact that people are still arguing what is obvious. So how do you argue, how do you argue to someone who says, hey, we need to do something about this and this being, you know, mass shootings and or violent attacks? Like how do you, how do you argue with a mother who just lost her son? Um, Valerie Jarrett is a longtime friend of uh, both Obamas, and uh, she's also one of a, the top advisors to President Barack Obama. And uh, she was at the Commonwealth Club, uh, I think, a couple months ago, and she was talking about the worst two days in the White House that she's been there, and that was following the Newtown massacre. Mm-hmm. And you know, so it was not just being in the White House and watching the president's face as he learns how many of these children were killed. But then, of course, they went to Newtown and were meeting these people and, um, you know, meeting one. There were these two twins and the one girl was holding the photo of her murdered twin. And uh, Mm -hmm. she said, you know, coming out of that, there was a sense that there is an impetus. There is broad consensus across the country, across the parties to do stuff. And 
they couldn't. They couldn't get the most rational things of, you know, keeping someone doing a doing background checks was basically the one thing they were really trying to push through. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said what happens is the NRA decides to score these things, meaning if someone votes for it, they will spend money to defeat that person. And, uh, you know, so what can you do? You've got to vote and you've got to make this one of the items that you vote on, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so if you do nothing else this year, when you get to November, and we, we've talked about this a number of times, when you, you know, when you're doing your November ballot, don't just vote on who you want in the White House. So you certainly should do that because th- this <laughs> issue is pertinent. Um, but, you know, down the line, um, especially in, in state and congressional elections, uh, make this right. a, a one of your top priority uh, issues. We have a couple young people here in the studio, so please listen to us. We are, we've lived a few years <laughs> more than you have, and these are very serious issues. And, and they're not even like new issues. Like these shootings have occurred. Um, they occur all the time, actually. Sometimes we hear about them, sometimes we don't. And the change has to come now if we really are serious about saving people's lives. You know, to, to maybe some bored Republican or conservative or gun-toting person here who really doesn't believe in reforming gun laws, if you're randomly stumbling upon the show and tuning in and listening, I don't, I I, I just, I want to ask you, like, what kind of person are you when you, when it's, when it's, it's, it's a no, it's not a no-brainer for you when, when people's lives, innocent people's lives, children, Children's lives are being lost that you don't want to do something about it. Instead, what's more important to you is to be able to have your right to own a gun. Um, what does that say about you? What kind of person are you? And, and that, as Christine pointed out, it says in the Second Amendment to have the right to have a well-regulated militia. And these people, first of all, aren't in a militia. Mm-hmm. Second of all, they are not well-regulated. Mm-hmm. The other half of this is, I mean, Christine brought it up. Yes, we need, you know, gun control. We need to reform the laws uh, when it comes to access to guns and assault rifles and these very, very violent uh, machines, by the way. The other side of it is not being afraid to also discuss mental illness, not be afraid to, you know, discuss homophobia and all all these, um, the isms, as Christine pointed out. We do a really good job keeping those isms alive by not having compassion for one another. And, 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 and you know, all that it is, what it boils down to is acceptance and tolerance. We're different people. We are. <laughs> and there's, in my opinion, a great nation, a great America is not one race. And it's not one sex. And it's not one sexual orientation even or gender identity even. It's 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 gotta be all of us. <sighs> I can do this show until like you know, I pass out from exha- exhaustion, but <laughs> something tells me we have to keep doing it. John, thank you so much for being here with me today. 
As always, thanks for having me here. Don't forget, John hosts uh, his week-to-week political roundtable talk here on the Michelle Miao Show. Friday is at 4 o'clock. For everything else, you can head to michellemiao.com. The Commonwealth Club, by the way, has some great events coming up, including Alan Cumming. So you want to go check out their website at commonwealthclub.org. And you should also check out uh, commonwealthclub.org slash meow for all of our podcasts. (laughs) We'll be back tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And then for everything else, you can head to michellemiao.com. Come.